0: Music
1: To Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Susan Kelsey. Um, Susan is an airplane pilot, she is a financial advisor, she is an author and an expert on Billy Caldwell who was a famous Native American Indian in the 1800s who changed the course of American history and who is now buried in Council Bluffs. She wrote a new book about Billy and spent a lot of time in Council Bluff doing research, studying the lay of the land there and making friends she will never forget. I am thrilled to welcome to the studio author Sue Kelsey. Hi, Sue. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you.
1: I'm thrilled that you're here. What a fascinating story. The book is Billy Caldwell and his date of birth and death, which is 1780 through 1841, Chicago and the Great Lakes Trail. I have to tell you, when I think of Native Americans, I do not think about them coming from what was then uh, Niagara, Fort Niagara, New York, which was Canada, um, and then migrating into the Great Lakes area. But – The little bit I know about him from reading your book and reading a a little bit more um, was that he was born to um, a Native American for the Mohawk Nation and a father who was an Irish captain in the British Army. Is that correct?
0: That's correct.
1: And he was a remarkable man. So my question, first of all, all, is what made you want to do research and write a book on Billy Caldwell?
0: Well, it was really over a 25-year period. <laughs> so in um, early, I guess the mid-'80s, I was working in Chicago and would pass by a an old statue that was at, located at Michigan Avenue and the Chicago River, and it had an image of a Native American and some of the early pioneers. And it was really then I just started thinking, oh, I wonder what, What this conflict is about You know what these stories were about And started researching it And then about I don't know Seven years later so I moved up to the North side of Chicago to a neighborhood Called Sauganash And Uh that was 1993 and I was walking around that neighborhood and saw a plaque in the Grass talking about the edge Of Fort Dearborn and A man by the name of Billy Caldwell Also known as Sauganash And I thought well that's that's interesting. You know, this is a neighborhood I live in and I had heard about this Billy Caldwell, but I didn't know much about it. And it was before the Internet. So, you know, I went to a lot of libraries and museums and did a lot of research. And um, and that's really how I, it was a hobby and turned into a passion and probably an obsession.
1: It's it's interesting that you say that, you know, we were talking before we in the green room and I was telling you that this is my retirement hobby. <laughs> Has nothing to do with my <laughs> real job. So, I understand that um are have you always been a student or a lover of history, American history?
0: Not history, but mysteries. Um mysteries. I've always enjoyed mysteries. Yeah, the um I used to read a lot about um Nancy Drew mysteries. Oh yeah. Of even course. earlier than that, the Tom Swift and Trixie Belden and You know, a little bit, Agatha, Christie And I just always love mysteries And and this was kind of a mystery You know, I learned everything I possibly could About this guy through the 90s And then the internet came And scoured that a little bit And it really, you know, and then life happens You get married and have kids And school and sports And so the trail went cold For a little while And then um, it was around 2014 And I asked my mom Gosh, you know, the kids are all on their own now. And, you know, what do you think? Do you think we could go out to Fort Niagara, which is by Niagara Falls and see if we can find out a little bit more information about this guy? Wow.
1: So so your mom was interested in the story as well then?
0: Yeah. And what was interesting is we, we left Chicago and went through Detroit. I grew up in the Detroit area in Birmingham, Michigan. And so we stopped at her sister's and, her sister said, What are what are you two up to? And I said, Well, I've been studying this Native American, Billy Caldwell, and we're heading over to Canada. We're gonna cut through Canada and go over to Fort Niagara and um and she said, Well, you know our family is from that same area and we no, we didn't know that. So she got the family bible out and we started looking at some of the addresses wow. and uh, for it, they were from the same area, Brantford, Ontario, that Billy Caldwell lived in.
1: Wow! So it was almost cellular, you know, for you in your DNA <laughs> to 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 go. I mean, talk about six degrees of separation. You, this is part of your history, your family history.
0: Well,
1: it it really intertwined
0: all the way from the New York, uh, well, actually the Canada, the Brantford, Ontario, and then mm-hmm. down through Thamesville. I had family that had a farm in Tamesville. It was actually where Tecumseh died, and Tecumseh was a friend of Billy Caldwell's. And then, you know, you mentioned the migration and right. around the turn of, you know, the signing of the Declaration, you know, Young America. They had the thirteen colonies, and a lot of those Native Americans were pushed west into the Great Lakes, and then the Great Lakes were pushed more into the Midwest, and and um, you know, they they moved west. Forcibly, but also for economic opportunity and, and that's what we found on my family's side Is they moved west from the Canadian area Down to Detroit and then over to Chicago Where I live now And then I, I actually, myself and my children All have gone to school in Iowa So we did the same trail as Billy Caldwell About 150 years apart <laughs> Boy, you're not kidding
1: So tell us what makes Billy Caldwell so
0: special he was in the right place at the right time um, He was, as you said, born around 1780 So a few years after the signing of the Declaration And um, and so right around the turn um, of the 1800s The fur trading was um, the main economic um, stay for a lot of these people And as you mentioned, he was half Native American, half Irish So he had a foot both in a couple of different worlds but fur trading was the the economic opportunity, and so he would move between Detroit and Chicago and Detroit was about a hundred years ahead of chicago so while Detroit had a fort, you know Chicago was still really wild and uh on the edge of the frontier and so when he arrived in Chicago, there was maybe you know eight families and and that was about it and then as uh, white Settlement started migrating west and coming from Detroit over to Chicago, and then you start adding the rails in, the railroads. Mm-hmm. Um, there was really kind of a unique opportunity. He had already seen history. He had been for 40, 45 years. He he saw the writing on the wall. And so when he was in Chicago, him and a couple of his friends, they um, they negotiated one of the largest land deals in America, and it was for about 5 million acres. And it was the Treaty of 1829, which really allows me to live here in Chicago and, and moved all the Native Americans out of the Midwest.
1: Um,
0: now, you said in, in your book, you talk about him being
1: uh, a chief for three Chicago tribes, Ottawa, Odawa, right. and I, I'm not sure how to say the last one, pa-
0: Potawanta. Potow-
1: Potawatomi. Potawatomi. Okay.
0: Potawatomi.
1: There you go. Um, I'm not really good at you know in Florida we have so many we have Seminole and Miccosukee names you'd think I'd be able sure to it. yeah but 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 no um, so it's a land trade that made history but and it represented like these five million acres so white settlers took over in in the Midwest in Michigan where did all the Native Americans go? You you call it, in quotes, Indian Territory. So it was met west of the Missouri River. But what happened after that?
0: Well, there's a couple of very interesting facts. One is, um, as we said in the beginning, Billy Caldwell was half Mohawk, which is from upstate New York and okay. moved, migrated up to Canada. Um, however, he was named chief of the three tribes that you just mentioned, Ojibwe. Ottawa, and Pottawatomie, which he was not part of those tribes. But the white people gave him the title of chief, which gave him power to negotiate on behalf of those three tribes. So all those three tribes are considered Algonquin. Um, They all come from the Great Lakes region. And so after they negotiated the treaty in 1829, Um, They left the Chicago area between 1835 and 1837, and you ask, where did they go? Uh, To this day, there is not one federally recognized tribe in Illinois because they all left. But they were forced to go west of the Missouri River, so not the Mississippi, which is on the edge of Illinois, but one more state over between Iowa and Nebraska, the Missouri River, and um, in the mid-1830s, they were given a couple of options, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma. That was considered the Indian Territory. And then, as you know, as the country started adding more states on, they, their reservations were reduced to right. just a fraction of what the original square feet were. Right. Were, were
1: these tribes where he was named the chief, were they happy or okay with him being named the chief?
0: I think it was the right place at the right time. The other kind of very unusual thing that happened during that treaty, and only that treaty, is it was the first time the U.S. government had negotiated with a chief, like Billy Caldwell and his two friends, Chief Shabona and Chief Alexander Robinson. They negotiated with the three of those guys. And um, not only did they cede the 5 million acres, but those three men received personal land under their individual names. And that had never happened before. So that was kind of unusual. Um, how did they feel about it? <clears throat> only from the research that I've looked at. You know, you can only imagine leaving, um, you know, your burial grounds and your hunting grounds. Sure. And, um, but it was, these these men were very savvy. They weren't um, naïve. They were very savvy. Billy Caldwell in particular had lived um, through quite a change of America, so they they knew pretty much this was going to happen, whether they wanted to or not. So they tried to cut their best deal and to move on. But when you think about the the numbers, there just weren't that many numbers. Um, When Billy Caldwell left, he had about 2,500 people that went with him. So when you think about the sheer growing population in the East Coast, the thirteen colonies, and as they're growing and migrating west, um, it was just sheer numbers. They just could not. Um, they were in the minority, and they still are. And
1: and Native Americans still struggle uh, for their land rights and and other things. Correct?
0: Yeah. Um, between seventeen seventy four. So a couple of years before the Declaration of the Independence, up until about the mid-1880s, when the last of the tribes out west, you know, you remember hearing about the fights of Geronimo and Red Cloud. Sure. Um, for that period of years, there were 374 treaties signed between the United States and the Native American various tribes. Every single treaty was broken except for one of them. So it, it, they just didn't have a chance um, you know, there's a, a resurgence now with Native Americans. The Cherokee Nation out in Oklahoma is um, one of the most powerful nations, and and so you know they're focusing on education, they're focusing on economic opportunities, and working to not be erased from history. Right.
1: It, I you know I listen to NPR an awful lot, and um, they oftentimes uh, talk to elders in some of the tribes who are saying, you know, we are teaching children the native language so that they don't lose it. And um, I, it saddens me that that happens. Um, I'm originally from Miami, and we grew up speaking Spanish and English because it was Miami. We just had a huge sure. Cuban population yeah. there and um many kids would say I don't know how to speak Spanish. You know, my parents, my grandparents were from Cuba, but they they never learned the language. They became immersed in the culture. Unfortunately, I don't think that happened with Native Americans. Um that they have the larger you know,
0: tribes. Yeah. The larger tribes have done exactly what you described with the Spanish the language right. and the culture is so key to the family structure, and storytelling is a big part of their culture. Yes. So the larger yes. tribes that were more substantial have kept that intact, and it's it's really um really spectacular to see. We in Illinois we don't have any tribes, but north of us in Wisconsin, we have the Menominees, we have Potawatomies. So it's um in the Oneida. <clears throat> so there there it is all around us and it's um it's interesting and i guess it's kind of timely now you know to be inclusive with all this diversity whether it's native american or spanish or or any nationality that comes to our country it's um it's time to be inclusive
1: well don't you think that's kind of um it's kind of an ironic to me to that that we're going to include native americans who are here first and so yeah. um Yes, you're right. You are absolutely right. I often wonder, you know, I don't, I don't know that any of the Native American tribes that are, exist in this country now are have enormous wealth. I, I don't know. From everything I've read, and maybe it, and it's limited, I will admit, um, they are the tribes do not are not wealthy at all. And I think about as I told you here in Florida, we have two big tribes: the Seminole and the Miccosukee. And they run the casinos that are exceptionally busy and, you know, the hard rock and everything else, they run all those. And I Mm -hmm. wonder how their people still are so poor and have so many problems with education and alcoholism and so on and so forth. Although they do have their own reservation police and all part of the highway that goes um, east to west goes right through Miccosukee and Seminole land. So if you happen to get pulled over on the state road, you're going to get pulled over by a Native American police department.
0: And, oh, interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Um, it's a shame that we have to include them because they in- included us. <laughs> and now we have yeah. to <laughs> resurrect those tribes. We have to – res. And so how many tribes are no longer in existence, Susan?
0: I don't know the answer to that. I know there's about 600 federally and state recognized tribes in our country. Um, Of those, I would guess a third of them have some economic power, whether it's the casinos that you mentioned or they send some natural resources. Um, Certainly some of the Utes and the Navajos out west and the Cherokee, very powerful. Um, The Pottawatomie in Wisconsin, powerful. And um, just so people understand uh those 600 tribes represent sovereign nations and a sovereign nation has an inherent power that allows it to negotiate with the u.s government so when you say you drive down the highway through the seminole reservation right that's their nation you certainly are driving through but um all native americans pay taxes they're u.s citizens and um and those are economic interests that they have the casinos and um, and certainly, there's some reparations that you know have been taking place, but um, not all tribes are equal. So you know, it's really no, a, quite is a spectrum. True.
1: I think last year I saw a lot in the news about the pipeline going through the middle of the of an Indian nation, and that was quite quite controversial. Um, And it seemed like it was finally allowed to go through, and much to the dismay of the Native American tribes there because it disturbed their burial lands and some of their sacred lands, some of the animals that they still use in their culture. So um, it's frustrating to me that it is what it is. Uh, I have always been fascinated by – The Native American culture. And there was one time only in Florida when all the nations gathered together where they had a festival. And to go and watch the dance, the music, the crafts, the food, it was just mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing to me. It was amazing, you know, to think that these people have maintained their traditions for so long.
0: Well it is it is amazing to go to those powwows and and I like to think of the Native American culture as the original environmentalists. You know, they yes. they believe so strongly in the mother earth and respecting yes. the water and the air and the resources and the um uh the standing ground that you were talking about and they um you know there's a wonderful new piece out that um that the website is firstnations.org and it's called reclaiming Native truth. And um, in that incident you were talking about with, um, you know, the water going through their reservation, it was really kind of the first time they they used this new way of um, trying to change the narrative of Native Americans. And I, I'm not yes. Native American; I'm um, European descent. But um, but the the narrative that they're trying to change is that um, there's a tremendous amount of history. And, and there's so many elements of that history that are so adaptable today with the environment and cherishing our, our resources. And, and so, um, I think they have a lot to contribute to the conversation.
1: Boy, you're not kidding. They they were the first environmentalists and ecologists and recyclers and, uh, you know, they took care of the earth and, um, Yeah, I I wonder how they shake their head at what our waterways look like and what the land looks like. I'm I'm sure they're very sad about it, but they are a very hard Native American tribes are very hardy, and they are determined to stand on their own and to not be forgotten. Is what my take is. Do you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. uh, So in the research I did, the Smithsonian Institute of the Native Americans said you know before columbus came there were around 2 to eight million eight, two to 18 million native americans in north wow. america um, you know nobody really knows for sure but um then you had columbus come and then the european settlers and they brought with them the the uh smallpox and a lot of european diseases right. and that population shrunk down to a quarter of a million um wow. but today there're well over 5 million native americans and north america so you're right it's a very resilient group um steeped in culture steeped in tradition and there's a lot we can learn from them
1: Boy, you're not kidding um the name of the book let's talk about that again so that everyone knows the name of the book is billy caldwell 1780 to 1841 chicago and the great lakes trail Um, my guest is susan l kelsey you can find her book um, on Amazon. I guess you can find it anywhere where books are sold. Um, Susan, thank you so much for educating me on on this particular Native American who sounds like he was a brilliant man. Uh, and like you said, he was only partially Native American. The other half was Irish. And so um, he's a fascinating character. I can see why you chose to talk about him will you please um, tell listeners where they can find you on the web and in social media?
0: Oh, thanks. Uh, I have a website. It's SusanKelsey.com, S-U-S-A-N-K-E-L-S-E-Y.com. And um, I have a Facebook page following Chief Saganash. And and I really love interacting with people. So if anyone has any questions, and I really enjoy responding and, and, and educating people about, kind of the history of our country
1: yeah it's fascinating and i i really should i should really have more shows like this I, I generally talk to a lot of genre fiction authors but sometimes my attention is just grabbed and this story was so fascinating to me that i really wanted to talk to you um and thank you for being with me i i still appreciate it
0: thank you so much i really appreciate it it was quite an honor okay
1: Thank you so much. And listeners, um, please go and get the book. Look up Susan Kelsey on the web. Uh, find out about all the things that she's done and what she's going to be doing. And find her on Facebook. She'll really enjoy talking to you. Susan, thank you for being with me again. Have a good night.
0: Good night. Thank you.
1: And li- listeners and readers, thank you for being with me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you.